There's two guys laying bricks. Um, one guy, you come up and ask him what he's doing. He says, man, I'm just laying bricks. I just get these bricks from this pile over here, and I get some mortar, and I mix it up, and I slap it on there. and I put these bricks on there, kind of intermittent, and um, I come in about 8 a.m. I get done about 5, a break for a little lunch, and uh, I do it again tomorrow. That's the next guy, what he's doing. He says, man, I'm building tomorrow. I'm like, what are you talking about? Looks like you're laying bricks. No, I'm building tomorrow. I'm building a wall, and we're going to connect this wall to another wall, and there's a bunch of kids that are going to meet behind this wall, and they're going to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. And they're going to go off, and they're going to be equipped to be leaders in tomorrow. I'm building tomorrow. The first guy you would imagine who's just laying brick would be easily discouraged. The first guy that's just laying brick would be easily distracted. He'd be easily disrupted, easily frustrated. He's just a bricklayer from eight to five. The second guy, though, with purpose, and meaning and identity, you'd expect he's going to be steady. He's going to be focused. He's going to be even. I bet even he would do a better job than the first guy because he's building tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I'd want to be the second guy. One of the things I'm excited about in this next season in the life of this church is that we have a season where we really are going to spend some time enjoying the person and work of Christ, especially through the beauty and simplicity of a gospel, through the book of Matthew. As a people, we're just going to focus on building tomorrow, enjoying this thing that's been built and is being built already through the person and work of Christ, the story through the story of this king this work, this kingdom that's advancing, that's already breaking in and is continuing to break in, this thing that we can see part of in each other, but we have yet to see as it unfolds. I'm hoping and I'm praying and I'm actually excited about trusting that it's already going to happen, is that this is going to inspire us and compel us and guide us as we're about the work of just laying bricks that will be steady and focused and even. My hope and prayer in this season is that it will build, God, through this study, will build into us who we are, what we're about, and who we're about. Let's pray. God, as we christen this day with the beauty of a couple of baptisms... As we move into a new chapter in the life of our church in the book of Matthew, Lord, we pray that your son will be front and center. Lord, we pray as a people that we will see our identity in him. And Lord, we pray it will steady us. Lord, I pray as a people we'll see our purpose in enjoying him. 
that'll give us an evenness. Lord, I pray that we will worship in this next season, especially as we really enjoy your son. We're entrusting this season to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so today, turn to the book of Matthew. What I'm just give you a little map for the morning. Uh, today might be a little more Bible study than it is sermon, but it's setting the stage for maybe years of preaching. Um, I don't know how long Matthew will take. It's hard to say. It might, it might not take as long as John. Uh, it may take longer. It's hard to know. Um, but the plan for the morning is we're going to first of all consider the author. Secondly, the date. The date we're going to give about two seconds to. Theme will be the next thing we consider. And then purpose. And then structure. And then I have two questions for us to consider at the very end. Uh, so if you're not a note taker, I would encourage you, today might be a great day to start. Um, if over the course of the morning you see some notes that you miss, I have a couple of overheads uh, to, uh, to show you that have some information on them. If you miss that information, don't fret. I can send those out that information out later this week. Um, I think in some ways this morning is going to be foundational to our season in Matthew, however long that may be. So let's talk about Matthew, first of all. You would suspect that Matthew is the author of the gospel. Now, we don't know that because it, Matthew doesn't tell us in the book. Something that's interesting about our gospels, none of our gospels tell us who wrote them. It's the early church that tells us and, and leans in the direction of, uh, tells us that Matthew was the writer of the gospel called and titled Matthew. The early church traditions indicate that he's the author, and there's really no reason to doubt that. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. I want to just take a moment and sort of introduce us to this guy through his calling. Matthew chapter 9. I really have about four or five places for you to turn in Matthew this morning, maybe six. Nothing real complicated, but you will need to be kind of uh, ready to flip and turn. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. Let's meet the author of this gospel. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. The other Gospels refer to him as Levi, same guy. Okay, he probably had two names, Matthew, Levi, kind of a country boy maybe with two names, use them both interchangeably. Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and he followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Okay, they're almost like interchangeable. Watch what happens. But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, i.e. tax collectors and sinners. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay, so Matthew is a tax collector. Now, that comes in handy if you're going to write a gospel because tax collectors were trained in reading and writing. So that's handy that he can write and read. But tax collecting is not exactly a well-respected profession. Matthew probably had a job of collecting taxes, probably from fishermen, for Herod. And if you were paying attention in this passage, you see those terms, tax collector and sinner, are used almost interchangeably. I was thinking about it. It might, it might help you to kind of think about this. This gospel was written by a guy that was really a corrupt politician before he followed Christ. Being a tax collector was synonymous with being corrupt. 
I grew up in Louisiana, and we had a governor like four times over the course of my, me growing up. I'm 50 years old. This guy's been governor like four or five times, Governor Edwin Edwards. He makes the top 10 list of corrupt politicians in history in the U.S. I mean, he's in the, like one or two. This would be like Edwin Edwards writing a gospel about Jesus. It has kind of a juicy feel to it, if you think about it that way, almost like an ancient tabloid. Like, I want to get into this and see what this former corrupt politician has to say. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. He's sick, referring to what Jesus said of tax collectors and sinners. But he's also a Galilean Jew. It's kind of helpful for a guy that's going to write a gospel if he's going to make this gospel about the Old Testament story that he was, in fact, a Jew. He was quite able to interpret the life and ministry of Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament, having grown up a Jew. Now, this is key to making sense of this gospel, that Matthew was a Jew. Now, the date. Uh, the date is not something I want to spend a lot of time on. Mark is probably, we believe, to be the earliest gospel written, and Matthew draws on a lot of Mark's material. Okay, he expounds and expands some of the passages, but some of them, in some cases, are almost verbatim from Mark. Uh, so Matthew likely came after Mark at some point. Uh, if you read your ESV study guide, it says in there that they're dating the book of Matthew around the 50s, the late 50s to 60s A.D., before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. The theme of the book of Matthew. Now, there are a number of themes. And on the front of your bulletin, we actually have a little image there that we're going to be interchanging tiles on there. Okay, And there are a few tiles on there that allude to some of the themes. Okay, A theme of kingdom is in the book of Matthew. You'll hear a lot of kingdom language in the book of Matthew. You'll hear a lot of language in the book of Matthew that's identifying Jesus as the promised Messiah. Messiah is another theme. Another theme that's a little obscure that you have to draw out if you're paying attention that will come out if we're paying attention is that true peace and deliverance is offered in Christ for the Jew and the Gentile. It's very important in the book of Matthew. Now, the purpose. This book, this gospel was written without even mentioning Matthew's name, likely to someone in his own church. Okay, if some of you, if one of you were writing another letter to someone you were discipling, Clay, Clay Petzold is a great model of this, a guy that's discipled lots of young men or younger men in our church or various young men in our church. If he were to write a letter to them, he may not even have to sign it because that young person knows who it's from. There is the sense here that this letter, this gospel was written by Matthew to someone even in his own church, probably, possibly a new convert for the purpose of discipling them. If you remember, uh, we were in the book of Luke, I think uh, Brad had a sermon that alluded to this at one point, where he pointed out that the book of Luke and Acts were both written to a young guy, probably a young convert, named Theophilus. Theophilus may not have actually been a real person. It might be code name for lover of God, Theophilus. So we're going to have our own little Matthews version of Theophilus with Christophilus. That'll be who we consider over the course of the morning. And maybe we'll come back to Christophilus in the coming weeks and months. But just imagine that this book, this gospel, was written by a guy named Matthew, a former tax collector, a former corrupt politician, to a believer in his church, a young man that we're going to call an imaginary young man named Christophilus. 
what he's doing in this letter, if you connect the themes with the purpose, you realize what he's doing in some ways is he's building an identity of citizenship in a kingdom into this young man named Christophilus. Citizenship in a kingdom. Now, I just want to help our parents in our room with something. This just is, I'm telling you, this is such a treasure. If you can connect to this, and young people as well, but especially parents, as you're guiding your young people in the faith, is to recognize the importance of building identity in a kingdom first. If people can see their identity as Christian first, as part of this kingdom of God, then what's associated with that identity follows so much easier. I'll give you an example. Telling our young people, we don't want you guys, you young adults, you uh, teens and young adults, to participate in premarital sex because you're not supposed to. The Bible says so. Okay? Probably a lot of parents are having that conversation or have had that conversation with their young people over the course of, you know, maybe even this week. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an ongoing issue. Okay? Consider the difference between you're not supposed to do that because the Bible says so and you're not supposed to do that because that's not who you are. That'll travel, right? Parents, you can get excited about that kind of conversation. And young people, you can get excited about that conversation and say, that's not who I am. That's the importance of building Christian identity and kingdom identity as a kingdom citizen into our people. That's what it appears Matthew, the former corrupt politician, is doing with this young imaginary man named Christophilus. He's building identity. That's not who you are. Now, the primary theme and purpose comes out as we consider structure. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our morning, considering structure. And um, I I think it's not going to be complicated. You're just going to have to pay attention. And I'm telling you, there's a real treat in it if you'll pay attention uh, as we consider some structure. As you see this primary purpose and theme emerge, we want to try and make sense of, ultimately, what is Matthew building into Christophilus. Okay, now we're going to get into five passages in the book of Matthew. Look at, first of all, chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. As you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of an explanation about what we're doing in these next few minutes with these five passages. There are five passages in this book that are transitional passages. And we're going to consider them just for a moment, and then I'm going to sort of show you why they're important. Okay, so this is the first of five passages. I don't want you to get lost in these next five passages. Just look for how they're similar. Okay, here's the first of the the five, beginning in verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The The thing I want you to really pay attention to are the words, and when Jesus finished these sayings. Look at the next passage in chapter 11, verse 1. This is really cool. I know this feels a little bit maybe like a Bible study, and you might say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready for that. Please, just play along with me. This is going to be a treat. Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now look at chapter 13, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. Okay, just two more. 
chapter 19, verse 1. I love hearing those pages turn. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Okay, the last one, chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Hopefully you're paying attention and you recognize there's a consistency. There's some transfer between those five transitional passages, some similarities that Matthew is using this as a transitional device. Okay, it turns out Matthew, this scribe, this or scribe-trained tax collector, actually has a plan. He's not just writing a story. Hey, Christophilus, I'm just going to sit down and write a story to you. Mm. He's got a plan. And these little transitional devices are keys to help us realize what his, at least get at what his plan is. These little devices mark off five books within the book of Matthew. Little micro books within the book of Matthew. Now, they're not set off in your Bible. You don't have some sort of chapter division. You don't have any sort of note within your Bible. But Matthew is using those to say, I want you to pay attention to this thing together, the first little section, the next thing together five times. Okay, And what's together in each of those sections is a story time and some teaching. Okay, To use some official or more... Um, uh, I guess, uh, biblical-type words, it would be narratives and then discourse, story time and teaching. Each of those little books have like the illustration that starts and then the teaching. Okay, usually teaching has some illustration embedded within it in the course of a sermon. You might hear an illustration embedded within the, within the course of a, a time of teaching. Well, just think of this as being five teachings that have some illustration versus, uh, through these narratives and then some teaching. Times five. And then the very last little section is the passion, the story of the cross and the resurrection. Okay, so this book, the book of Matthew, is broken down into five little micro books that are built around five important teachings, five important discourses that each end with the words when Jesus had finished these sayings. Okay, narrative discourse. Narrative discourse, narrative discourse, narrative discourse times five. Okay? All right. Now, you may be completely disinterested at this point. Let me just tell you this. Matthew is very purposeful and intentional. This is a well-thought-out plan. Okay, if we're going to commit years to this book called Matthew, maybe years. It may, it may take weeks. Probably not. But if we're going to commit a, serious, a, a, a significant amount of time to this book, we want to understand what Matthew's getting at. Okay, the worst thing we can possibly do is parachute into the book of Matthew and just grab a passage here and there and try and apply it to our lives and walk in it. Could God guide us in that? Yeah, maybe, but you could make a real mess too. We want to understand what God is getting at through Matthew to Christophilus, and then we try and figure out what does Christophilus have to do with us? Okay, So these little guides, these transitional guides are important. Here's the next clue that Matthew is getting at something very important. Turn to Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. I promise you, if you'll hang in there with this, it's going to be a treat. <clears throat> Matthew 
Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to start in verse 13 just so you kind of have a sense of the storyline and what's going there. It, it will just be a matter of a few weeks before we're actually here. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Okay, this is referring to a passage in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, this is like cracking the code here. This is like, what's that movie with Nicolas Cage where he's a... um, What's it? National treasure. It's like national treasure at church. It's awesome. There's not going to be any floors that disappear or anything like that, but it's still going to be cool. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Just be ready to crack the code on this. Listen to how this passage reads. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Okay? When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt... I called my son. And Matthew, very intentionally, as a Jew, speaking of Christ being called back from Egypt, back to Israel, refers to this passage and says, Out of Egypt I called my son. All right, that's a little clue, a little hint that Matthew is making the case for something really, really important in this gospel. It's not just a story. He is up to something. So we're going to consider just for a few minutes more, what in the world is Matthew up to? All right. Now I got a slide for you. Okay. Let's put up that first slide. Got my handy dandy laser pointer. I hadn't used this in a few months. So let me see if I can still aim it right. Okay. Bam. Jeff, thank you. All right. I want want to just kind of acquaint you with this list on the left and I'm going to show you something cool on the right. Okay. This list on the left is kind of like high water marks. Now, it's not absolute because there's some high water marks that aren't on that list, but they're just sort of stories that you're probably acquainted with if you've read the Old Testament. If you haven't read the Old Testament, you probably look, that's just, a, just words on a page. But if you've read the Old Testament and you're kind of paying attention to the characters and what's going on in the storyline there, then these things on the left side of the page will be a little bit familiar to you. Okay, first of all, Genesis chapter 2, 4, and chapter 5, verse 1, the book of generations. Okay, in the, there, there's actually a Greek version of the Old Testament that's called the Septuagint. Okay, in the Septuagint, both of those passages have the same exact words as something else I'm about to show you. Okay, it's very important. Biblos genoseos. Okay, we'll come back to that in a moment. Okay, it may sound like it's not important. It's hugely important. Okay, and this chapter 2 verse 4 is talking about the book of generations of heavens and earth. He just told the story of the creation of the heavens and earth, and he's saying this is the book of the generations, the genesis of the heavens and the earth. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, it's the book of the generations of Adam. Okay. Now the second thing, the story of Abraham, chapters, 20, or chapters 12 through 26. If you've read Genesis, you know there's a sizable portion of the storyline that is given to Abraham as it should be. Chapter 37, there's a, you meet a guy, a dreamer named Joseph. Okay, you know the story of Joseph that's beaten up by his brothers because he's kind of a dreamer and he brags about it. Beaten up by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold off into slavery, ends up in Potter's, Potiphar's house, eventually ends up in Pharaoh's court okay, via jail. 
Okay, there's some miraculous births over here in Genesis chapter 21, 25, and 30. You've got Sarah, uh, you've got um, Rebecca, and you've got Rachel. There's some other miraculous births in our Old Testament. Those are some of the, some really important ones. Okay, you've got all the earth comes to Joseph for grain in Genesis chapter 41. Joseph, you remember I just said, he ends up in, in Pharaoh's court. Okay, in some ways he's like um, uh, almost like a king. Okay, not quite but almost like a king, almost a virtual king, where during famine in the, in the land of Egypt and surrounding area, all the nations are gathering and coming to Joseph to get some food. Okay, these are important. Okay, fast forward 400 years, Exodus chapter 1 and 2, Pharaoh is killing the sons of Egypt because apparently they're pretty prolific. They're good at making children. Okay, so there are a lot of them. And Pharaoh's like, man, these guys are going to outnumber us and take us over, so let's kill the boys. Okay, you know the storyline. Okay, Moses, Moses is actually rescued from that. That's when he passes through the watery ordeal in the tiny little ark. Okay, the little pitch-covered ark in the Nile. Okay, surviving the watery ordeal, just like our two children did this morning. Okay, Moses is rescued, and then he grows up, and he kills an Egyptian, and he flees. Okay, that's all in the same chapter in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 3 and 4, Moses returns. You see in the burning bush... He comes back to Israel to lead the people out of Egypt. Okay, he returns. Oh, no. My God. Oh, there it is. Okay. Exodus chapter 5 through 12, Moses and Aaron bring judgment through the plagues. If you've read this story, you know the story of the plagues. Exodus chapter 16, after they're led out of Egypt, after the Passover, Israel is baptized in the Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea on dry ground. Exodus chapter 17 through 19, Israel is tempted in the wilderness. It's really, you should say, chapter 17 through the rest of the book of Numbers. <laughs> They're tempted with all manner of things. Okay? And they don't handle it well, by the way. If you've read the story, you know that. Exodus chapter 18, Moses appoints elders. Exodus chapter 19 and 20, Sinai and the giving of the law. Okay? Now here's what's cool. Matthew is up to something. Okay, hit me that first slide on the next side. Jesus and Matthew. Jesus and Matthew, book of generations, the same language starts the book of Matthew. The book of the generations of Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, The same language is only used in the rest of our Bible in these other two places. Over here, Moses is telling the story of a people through the book of generations of the heavens and the earth and the book of generations of Adam. And Moses is going to tell the story of a new people, specifically a new person called Jesus. Okay, What's that next one there? The son of Abraham, you'll see him referenced there uh, in, in that passage, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. It's sort of a high point of the genealogy, uh, telling the story of the genealogy of, of Abraham. Hit the next one. A dreamer named Joseph, also in Matthew's story. Next. Virgin birth of Jesus, another miraculous birth in Matthew's version. Magi visit Bethlehem, also called the house of bread. Okay, The nations gather because they're hungry, just like the nations gathering to come see Joseph for grain. What's the next one? Herod kills the sons of Judea, just like Pharaoh killed the sons of Israel. Next. Jesus rescued and flees. He's, he's rescued through a tip-off from the angel of the Lord, and he flees Israel. And in some ways now, Matthew is sort of using Israel as Egypt. It's like Israel has become so uh, destitute. It's almost like they're Egypt at this point. Okay, the next. Jesus returns to Israel as Moses had returned to Egypt. Next. 
John announces judgment, just like Matthew and or Moses and Aaron brought judgment through the plagues. John's uh, message of baptism and repentance. John or Jesus is baptized in the Jordan, just like Israel was baptized in the Red Sea. Next. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, just like Israel was tempted in the wilderness. There for 40 years, Jesus for 40 days. I mean, if you're paying attention, you got to go, wait a second. Matthew's up to something. God's up to something. <laughs> right? It's not just Matthew. Okay, next. Moses appointed elders over here. Jesus calls his disciples. Next. Sinai and, giving, and the giving of the law, Exodus 19 and 20, and the Sermon on the Mount. God speaks again from a mount. If you're paying attention in the Sermon on the Mount, you know even a lot of the languages. You've heard it said this over here, but I say this. Okay, It's like a recasting of the law. The parallels are profound and important, and they're more than nifty. You know, I want you to understand they're more than nifty. Anybody else still use that word? It's kind of like borderline lame, like interesting, factoid kind of stuff. It's like really important. Now, let me show you just briefly the discourse parallels. Go ahead and put up that next slide. I'm not going to talk you through this very much. I'll just kind of point out to you the discourse parallels. I told you there are five discourses in the book of Matthew, five books within the book. Okay, and they center around discourses with narratives that go with them. These are the passages of the discourses. If you want to study those and say, okay, what are the teachings in Matthew? They're right here, Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew 10, this is Sermon on the Mount. This is the instructions given to the disciples as they're sent out. This is the kingdom parables. If We had a sermon series on Matthew 13 years and years ago. Matthew 18 is about community rule. Matthew 24 through 26 is about the end of the age. And here's where they parallel in the story of Israel. The law in Sinai, I pointed that out. Numbers 13, as they sent out the 12 spies into the promised land, the 12 disciples are sent out. King Solomon is referenced over here because he closely mirrors in the story of Israel and where he lines up in that storyline, he closely mirrors where the kingdom parables show up in the book of Matthew. And in fact, at the end of chapter 12 of Matthew, Jesus himself says, someone better than Solomon is here. And then he starts speaking Matthew 13. Man, it's very intentional connections. Now, Israel within Israel, that's, that's a kind of a complicated explanation. Elijah and Elisha's message was to be a faithful remnant within Israel as the exiles were unfolding, as they were coming, um, as they were moving in the direction of the Assyrian and Babylonian exiles. To be a faithful remnant within Israel. And this Matthew 18 seems to line up with that uh, age or that period in the life of Israel. And then lastly, the end of Judah and the Babylonian exile seems to beautifully marry up with Matthew 24 through 26, the passages on the end of the age. Now, you can leave that up just for a minute and then just kill that. I'll leave it up just long enough for people to copy that if they'd like to. Now, here's where this is going. We've done a lot of work this morning. Let me gather it all back up for you. Okay. Narrative and discourse. Times five, Old Testament connections, the Biblos Geneseos, okay? Out of Egypt, I'm calling my son, a.k.a. Israel, okay? The many parables, the delicious ones, right? Was anybody here last week for Kai's message? This is delicious. This is officially delicious. The many parallels, you got to be going, oh, those are gorgeous, I love those, the parables of the Exodus 
And then the parables of the re- or the, the parallels, parallels of the Exodus and the parallels of the rest of the story of Israel leading right up to the Babylonian exile. Matthew is, in fact, um, up to something, and here's what it is. He is retelling the story of Israel in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's making a case for Jesus being the new and better Israel. Man, Theophilus better get that, and Christophilus is going to have a treasure when he gets that in Matthew's church. When he connects to the depth of that and the beauty of that, he's really going to get it. I heard somebody tell a story one time. It's actually a guy named Peter Lightheart, a guy that I enjoy studying. He's unbelievably gifted at typology. A lot of what we've been talking about this morning is typology, where you see something in the Old Testament story that that is sort of uh, recast in Matthew's story, where there's a connection there, like, ah, we don't have to really stretch really hard. That's clearly connected. Uh, this guy, Peter Lightheart, tells a story about uh, telling a joke to his children. He goes into his children. He says, hey, uh, kids, um, there's a, um, a doctor, a lawyer, a rabbi, and a priest that walk into a bar. And the bartender looks up and says, what, am I in a joke? Okay. Now, his kids didn't get it. Okay? His kids didn't get it because they didn't have a library of rabbi, priest, doctor, and lawyer jokes. They knew the metric sound of a punchline, so they maybe kind of had an obligatory snicker. <laughs> kind of like what y'all did. <laughs> right? But they really didn't get it. That's what happens when we parachute into Matthew and we don't get what he's getting at. We don't have the library and the catalog of doctor, lawyer, rabbi, priest jokes So the punchline we may laugh at because we recognize, hey, this is supposed to be really great. But we don't really get it until we connect to these beautiful, beautiful parallels and context. It appears here that Matthew is making the case for Jesus being the new and better Israel. All right, now I just have two questions. We're just going to consider two questions at the end of the morning here. First of all, why do we need a new Israel? Okay, let me just ask you to consider this. Have you read the Old Testament? I mean, did you really read it? It is a grand disappointment. (laughs) Like, wow. I mean, seriously, you only had one rule? Don't eat from that tree? Like, hey, hey, Adam, come here. You hungry? Here, take a bite. I did. It was delicious. Okay, we had one rule. We're in the second generation, and there's already murder. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about somebody being mean, picking on somebody. I'm, talking, I'm not talking bullying. I'm talking murder. <gasps> People talk about kids these days. Man, kids are so bad these days. Man, everybody's been bad all days. <laughs> all days. We're second generation in, and we're already murdering people. Man, it's crazy. What a huge disappointment. Adam, you hungry? How about this? Fast forward a little bit. Just 10 laws. 10 laws. And while that's actually being shared, the shellac is not even dried on the Ten Commandments. Hey, uh, Aaron, can you make us a golden calf that we can worship? Because he led us out of Egypt. Man, what is wrong with you? (laughs) I mean, have you read the Old Testament? Why do we need a new and better Israel? Have you really read it? It is a grand disappointment. But here's what's crazy. 
you're really in trouble if you look at Israel and say, man, those guys are really messed up. Because this is really a story of every man. <laughs> in their case, with every advantage. Man, it's a tragic, tragic story. Every man, wayward, is wayward and in need of a replacement. Like a mulligan human. Maybe we'll just call him a redeemer. Man, I think Christophilus needs to know that, right? Theophilus needs to know that and enjoy that. There's some seriously good medicine for Christophilus. That's discipling at its best. That's the cream of discipling. Where Israel was wayward, Jesus was faithful. Where Israel was sinful, Jesus was sinless. Where Israel was frail, unpredictable, and inconsistent, Jesus was steady. Where Israel was selfish, Jesus was selfless even unto death. Where Israel was fooled, easily fooled, Jesus was a rock, unmovable. Where Israel was fearful, Jesus was brave, even knowing the gruesome price he'd pay. Man. I just want to encourage you. I charge you this week in an email. Start reading the Old Testament. And don't read it as a bunch of stories that are outside of you, that are unconnected to you. It's like history. Read it as a story of every man. And read it so that you can make sense of who your Savior is and what he's done for you that he did for Israel. Man, read the Old Testament so that you can adore your Savior and better know the mess Israel's mess and every man's mess that you were saved from. Man, that's the first question. Here's the second question, just briefly. So what? What will this do for my problems? Anybody in here have any problems? I got some. Anybody have any problems? Anybody coming to church this morning with some anxiety? Any struggles? Fears? Worries? Relationships? Man, I know there's a room full of problems. I think what's good enough for folks 2,000 years ago in Matthew's church, Christophilus, is good enough for folks at Cross Point Fellowship in 2018. Man, there's nothing new under the sun, and the medicine is just as good now as it was then. We don't ever graduate out of a study of the life and work of Christ because we study it, and when we study it, we enjoy it, and when we enjoy it, we enjoy Him. We're not enjoying data. We're enjoying a person. When we enjoy him, we sing to him. When we enjoy him, we talk about him. We marvel about him. And when we do all of the above, there's a word for it. It's called worship. And here's what's crazy about it. When you worship him, something happens. Here's the grand secret of self-forgetfulness as you enjoy Jesus. When we worship him, we are changed in our circumstances, even if our circumstances don't change. Here's a little heads up for you. They probably won't change. They might get worse. 
but he'll change you in those circumstances. Man, you'll see you're part of an ancient work. You'll be steadied as you realize as you're laying these bricks that you come from a long line of bricklayers. You'll read stories of God working in real lives of real people dealing with real difficulties and being faithful and sustaining them. And in the scandal, you'll be transformed. You'll be changed as you read those stories, as you enjoy the God of this story, the Christ of this story, because our word isn't a dead book. It's a living book. And it shapes and hones and equips you in your problems. It reframes those problems, doesn't it? Daniel and I are uh, driving a lot. I asked him for permission to share this story. I probably would have told it anyway, Daniel. It's just providence. You're born into a home of a guy preaching this morning, at least. You're fair game. It's not a bad problem. It's not a bad story. Daniel's driving a lot. We're driving. We're trying to get a feel for this driving thing. He's, he's got his permit. And um, so we've been on the highway once. We went out to, uh, we dropped a friend off out at the intersection, kind of a, it was actually a gas station out in Campbell. And we got on the highway. We nearly died coming back, but we made it. That was a few weeks ago. The memory of that had faded enough for us to try it again. <laughs> so this time, I said, let's go to Roy City. It's Sunday afternoon, prime time to drive, right? And nobody's out Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so you get on the highway, like 18-wheelers, like everywhere. So we're going to Roy City. I'm thinking, Roy City's tame. It's right up the road. It's just beyond Caddo. It's not hard, you know. Well, I forgot. There's construction around Roy City, you know. <laughs> and this construction's kind of crazy because you got these big concrete partitions, you know, and, and it weaves, you know. So somebody that really hadn't had a good sense of how to weave and bob and weave and know how to, you know, slip and slide and hook and jab and all that, you know, and that's scary. And, man, it's scary for Dad, too. <laughs> wow. Wow. We got into that section, and Daniel's like, those, those concrete barricades are like, they're audible. I mean, I'm not even driving, and I can hear them. They're like right there. Oh, no. And these 18-wheelers, they really are audible, and they're passing you because we're, kind of, we're, we're going learning speed. You know what I mean? We're not speeding or anything. And these guys are passing you as you're weaving. I said, Daniel, our only hope to survive this, <laughs> our only hope to survive this is that you forget about that, those, those concrete barriers. They're still there. And just try and kind of tune out those 18-wheelers. Those They're still there. And just look up the road and just look at where you're going. That's our only hope of getting out of this. Now, this is a beautiful picture of what we need to do as people of God. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus as the problems are still there. The 18-wheelers are still rolling, and they can still crush you. Those barriers are still there, but what will even you out, what will steady you is to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. 
God, you are so good. You are so good to give us a Matthew, a guy that was sick and in need of a Savior, a sinner, a tax collector that you called, your son called to follow him. Lord, I'm thankful that you've given us a Matthew that could read and write, that not just told a story, but actually built something into some imaginary young man in his church that we can come alongside in these next few weeks and months and maybe years. God, I pray that in this time that we will experience Christ, that we will enjoy Christ in a way that's transformative, in a way that's fitting for his glory. Lord, we commit this season to you, and we are thankful. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.